1 Peter in chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you remember from last Sunday night, we finished up in verse 9. In the midst of trials which God uses uh, in your life, the trying of your faith we saw last Sunday night. But the hope that we have and the glory that we have is simply this, that we can receive in verse 9 the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Remember from Sunday night? Hey, the best is yet to come. He has saved us, but aren't you glad today he is still and will save us? And so we saw that glorious truth. Now, with the continuation of that thought, we come to verse 10. Of this salvation, of which salvation? The prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. Now, I know some of you are already wondering, all right, preacher, what are you going to do with that one? I'll deal with it in a minute, amen? Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Father, I just thank you today and praise you for your word. And Father, as we look into your word, may you be exalted and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this glorious salvation in which you and I still will receive in our perfection when we get to glory. Now, understand, you and I have been betrothed unto the Lord in our new birth. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. We've been betrothed. But aren't you glad today that our marriage with our bridegroom will be consummated and we will become like him when we get to glory? That's what's still ahead for us. But yet at the same time, the prophets of the Old Testament testified of this very gospel, this very truth. But the thing is, they didn't fully understand what they were testifying of. And so that's what this passage has to deal with. Now, I want you to see this. I've entitled this, When the Unknown Became Known. Because what the prophets tried to expose in the Old Testament, can I tell you, became reality in the New Testament. And now what you and I know by experience, they only knew by revelation. And so this is the reality in which you and I have as New Testament believers under the new covenant where God has gave us a new heart. Now I want you to look at a few things with me this morning. The first thing is the perplexity of the prophets. The perplexity of the prophets. Notice what it says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired. Now this word inquired is an interesting word. It means to seek out or to search out. Now, you can understand here that as God moved upon these prophets by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote and to speak what they spoke, many times they were writing and speaking of things that would be of the future or things that would come later, 
in which they understood in principle but did not understand in fullness. And here was the reality. These prophets, moved of the Holy Spirit to do this, these prophets had a pursuit for truth. Let me give you some examples real quick. How many of you agree today when David wrote Psalm 22? Psalm 22 is one of the greatest chapters in the Old Testament about the death and burial of the Lord Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Christ. And I mean, David gave some details concerning that that, listen, only God could have gave David because they came exactly as God said they would. And so, but here's the reality. Most of the time when David wrote those Psalms, they were had to do with some event in his life. But Psalm 22, every Bible scholar will agree that Psalm 22 cannot pinpoint any event in David's life given to us in Scripture that relates to Psalm 22. But yet God gave David that word. But can you imagine what was going through David's mind? As he was penning this, as he was writing this, can you imagine how he had to long to know what does all this truly mean in its fullness? Let me give you another example. How many agree God gave Daniel a vision? Well, the Bible says that Daniel became very troubled because of the vision. Now you say, why was he troubled? Well, number one, because what the vision entailed. But number two, Daniel was given a vision which he knew God gave him, but he didn't know how it was all going to unfold. And this is something the prophets, they inquired, they searched, they had a pursuit for truth. They wanted to know more about the fullness of that truth than they were able to see. But listen to me. You and I know the fullness of what they didn't know. That's one of the reasons, listen, you never find in the Old Testament where any prophet called him father. But you and I can call him father. You say, why can we call him father and they couldn't? Because we are walking in the fullness of the salvation. They were walking in the shadow of the salvation. And they could only testify of what was to come, not what has come. And this is the, the amazing thing about what you and I enjoy in our salvation. Now, here's what's unique to me. They're pinning these truths that are shadows and type of reality that was going to come about. Concerning the Lord Jesus, concerning grace, concerning the crucifixion, concerning the second coming, concerning Pentecost. All these truths you can find in shadow and type in the Old Testament. And many of these truths you're going to find out in a minute, they knew was not going to be revealed or seen in their lifetime. And yet these prophets continue to pursue truth. Now, how many of you agree today? If someone kept give, telling you, all right, this is what's going to happen in the future, but didn't interpret what it was, how many of y'all would find yourself kindly, well, I don't know if I want to hear this anymore. But these prophets pursued truth. They never stopped pursuing the truth. As much as they could know, they wanted to know. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, listen to what the Lord said, For verily I say unto you, Many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them 
and hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Now, he's writing that in the Gospels. Hey, we're on this side of Pentecost, and even they were getting more revelation than the prophets. But can you imagine on this side of Pentecost, we're not just hearing it, we're experiencing it. And the prophets inquired. They longed to know what you and I know today. They longed to experience what you and I experienced today. You understand? Now, he's saying in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your trials, yes, it's going to try your faith. Oh, but listen, receive this, that the fullness of your salvation is yet to come. And here is the salvation that the prophets desired that you will know. The privilege that you and I have of being under this new covenant. Not only the pursuit for truth, but the passion for truth. Notice what it says. It says in verse 10, of which salvation the prophets inquired and searched diligently. The word here is, is that which they continue to search and never stop searching. In other words, it spoke of a passion of their life. Listen, when God started giving the prophets these truths, I mean, imagine Ezekiel, Jeremiah, who God gave the truths about, God, listen, God's going to do something unique and different. God's going to pour his Holy Spirit out. And when he does, he's going to give you a new heart. And the, and the law's not going to be wrought on tables of stone. The law's going to be written on your heart. Can you imagine Jeremiah and Ezekiel going, what in the world does that mean? I want to know what it means. They inquired, but they searched diligently. You say, preacher, I want to know what it means. If you're saved, you know what it means. That's where your desire for the things of God come from. God wrote on your heart because God gave you a new heart. You see, this is what the prophets long, the perplexity of the prophets. But I want you to see, secondly, the prophesying of the prophets. Look at the bottom of verse 10 who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Notice it didn't say unto them. It said the grace that should come, future, unto you. Now listen. As the prophets were writing about this grace, they were writing of it in a future tense, but here's what you need. The wording here for you and I is not in the future tense, it's in the present tense. So in other words, they were writing of a grace to come, future for them, but this grace has come, present for us. Now, let me get you to understand a little bit of the mindset of the prophets. How many of you agree God showed grace in the Old Testament? I mean, ask Noah. Would you agree with me today that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Would you agree with me that Noah and his family... I promise you, when they were on that ark and that ark was floating on that water, Noah and his family were praising God for his grace. Amen. I mean, how about Israel? I mean, Israel in, in Egyptian captivity under the taskmasters, 
God, have you forsaken us? God, have you forgot about us? And God raises up Moses. And God raises up the plagues. And God brings them out of that captivity. And God takes them across the Red Sea. And God takes them across the Jordan. And God puts them in a land. And God gives them a cloud by day and a fire by night. And God don't let the soles of their shoe wear out. And God feeds them even in their disobedience, even though that wasn't his provision for them. And yet God showed grace after grace after grace. They knew the grace of God. How many agree when Joshua was writing the book of Joshua, he could honestly say, hey, I want to tell you someone that knew about the grace of God, Rahab. Oh, Rahab. Boy, if anybody knows the grace of God, it's Rahab. Oh, put the scarlet thread up on the window. Hey, I want to tell you something. Rahab was protected by that grace. Ask Daniel if he knows about the grace of God. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if he know, they know about the grace of God. Folks, I could go on and on and on and on and on. Ask Jonah in the belly of the fish if he knows about the grace of God. So what is this talking about? That they prophesy of a grace to come. Because here's what it means. Now listen to me. Let me give you a few points here, okay? The first thing is the reality of grace. They knew what the grace of God was. But what they wrote about the grace of God was something about the grace which they knew but had never experienced. And so you see the reality of grace. Then you see the revelation of grace. Now listen to this statement, and I want you to listen to it real clear. Everybody got your ears on? Say amen. amen. You can have experienced the grace of God and still not live in the grace of God. See, the prophets experienced the grace of God. But the prophets had no idea of what it meant to live in that grace. Now, did God show grace to them on and on and on? Yeah. They would experience it and experience it and experience it. But for grace to be the enabling power, to live in accordance with God's standard. How many of you agree the prophets, even the prophets, fell well short? Because nobody could keep the law of God. So what happened when God saved us? What, are, what, what were they writing about concerning us? Here it is. The realization of grace. That the grace that they were experiencing, seeing God manifest, they knew and they wrote, there's something about this grace we don't know about. Grace they were seeing with their physical eyes was a grace they could not experience in their inner man did they see god manifest his power in the old testament yes many times parting the red sea holding back the jordan i mean we could go on and on holding back the the sun and the moon i mean we could go on and on about how god manifested his power but yet to experience the manifested power of god from within through without 
They didn't know. But if you're saved today, you know. Because grace is a person. And the Lord Jesus, who is our grace, now all of a sudden, the realization that they had, hey, there's something about this grace that's to come, but now we can say, hey, there's something about this grace that has come, and I experience it, and I live in it every day of my life. I can't live for myself. I can't live to myself. I can't live for Him. I can't live to Him. But all the grace of God can live through me, and now I can be in obedience to Him. I can enjoy it. I can experience it. Oh, more than a following a cloud. More than following the fire by night. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, can I tell you, the cloud and the fire is now in you. And now all of a sudden, now not externally, like the disciples in the Gospels, they followed Jesus wherever he went. But can I tell you, in the epistles, the disciples didn't have the Lord Jesus bodily to follow. But they had something better. Christ was in them. And now they were being led. And they didn't have to follow. This is the grace they spoke of to come. Now, you say, preacher, is there an aspect of this grace that has not come? Yes. You say, what is it? The perfecting of grace is still yet to come. Where you and I are perfected in the grace of God. Well, we see the perplexity of the prophets. We see the prophesying of the prophets. But I want you to see the pondering of the prophets. Look at verse 11. Searching. Present tense. Searching. Always searching. Never stop searching. What or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ. Let me show you a couple of things. The persistence of the prophets. Searching what manner of time the Spirit of Christ. When these prophets wrote many of these truths by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as God gave them to write them. Many of these truths they wrote a new heart will I give unto you, future tense. I will write my heart, my law upon your heart when that comes, future tense. And here was the persistence of the prophets. They were always searching, always searching. When is that going to be reality? Longing for that day in which you and I enjoy. Now listen to me just a minute. Let me put this real down home for us. You and I have something David never had. The man after God's own heart. You and I have something Moses never had. You and I have something Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, never had. You and I have something Samuel never had. Solomon never had. 
you and I have something Ezekiel, oh, the visionary prophet, never had. You and I have something Abraham never had. And you say, preacher, what is it? The indwelling Spirit of Christ. Now you say, preacher, wait a minute. Read the next phrase. Y'all were waiting on it, wasn't you? I know y'all by now. Y'all have already studied ahead. You already knew what was coming because I've already had somebody ask me about it this morning. So what do you do with this preacher? Where it says, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. Preacher, you've taught us that no one in the Old Testament was indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Did you teach us wrong? No, I didn't. You say, what do you do with the word in? Y'all ask some great questions, don't you? Say amen. All right, let me translate it for you. The word in, in the New Testament, is translated over 700 times as into. So in other words, when the Bible says that Christ is in you, how many agree? He is in you. He came into you. But the word is a little preposition of the Greek that can be translated in many other ways. Let me give you some examples. I wrote them down for you because I knew some of you would ask. It's translated 163 times as by. It's translated 140 times as with. It's translated 117 times as among. And it's translated 62 times just in the New Testament as own. So in other words, it could be translated into or it could be just the same translated based upon the context as being by them, with them, among them, or on them. Now you say, well, preacher, which was it? Was the Holy Spirit in them, on them, with them? Well, the Spirit wasn't in them. You say, how do you know? Because here's the reason I know. How many of you agree today that God the Father could never have fellowship or relationship with his children other than the blood of Jesus Christ had to be applied? So how many of you agree today that the Spirit of God is the triune God? So if the Spirit of God came in man before, then how did a holy God live inside of a sinful man that was only living off the blood of bulls and goats, which never satisfied a holy God. Now, to give you a little help with this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, says the prophets prophesied being moved by the Holy Ghost. He's saying the same thing that he said in 1 Peter. But notice the same preposition is translated by here that was translated in there. 
Was the Spirit of God active in the Old Testament? Yes. But here's how. The Spirit of God came upon the prophets. The Spirit of God enabled the prophets. The Spirit of God spoke to the prophets in visions and signs. The Spirit of God moved the prophets. The Spirit of God inspired the prophets. But you and I were indwelt by the Spirit of God. So you see the power of the prophets was by the Holy Spirit, but in a different way than you and me. Well, notice the third thing here under the pondering of the prophets is the prediction of the prophets. Notice what it says. He says here, searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Two things here. The sufferings of Christ and the future glory. These are the things that the prophets predicted. These are the things the prophets testified of. You see, it's uncanny. You, you want a witness to an Orthodox Jew? Don't open up the New Testament. They'll turn you off just like that. Take and show them the full gospel in Leviticus. Take and show them the gospel in Genesis. Take and show them the gospel in Isaiah 53. Take them and show them the gospel in Numbers. Take them and show them the gospel in Exodus. And I want to tell you something. They can't get around it. Oh, they're trying to get around it. You say, how do you know, preacher? Because listen, some of you have been with me when we went to Kando's shop in Bethlehem. And Kando has a gift shop in Bethlehem. He was one of the original owners of the Dead Sea Scrolls. He's got a pot standing in his shop in a glass airtight case that had the Dead Sea Scrolls in it that he shows that he was the owner of. He sold them to a man in California. The man in California sold them back to the Israeli government. I was talking to Kendo one day, and I said, Listen, isn't it true that Israeli government denies that Isaiah 53 was part of the Dead Sea Scrolls? He said, yeah, they do. He said, but I got news for you. I had them, I saw them, and it was in there. But they can't admit it. Why? Because if they do, their whole religion goes out the window. And so every time the prophet spoke of the feast, the, the offerings, the sacrifices, every time they were speaking of the suffering and glory of Christ. And they were painting a portrait of the glorious gospel through Christ and Christ alone. And it's all in the Old Testament. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 26. Y'all remember when the Lord rose? He was walking on the road to Emmaus and he encountered the two individuals. Remember he said to them, What's wrong with you folk? You say, I don't remember folk being in there. That's my paraphrase. Hadn't <laughs> you heard? They took the one that we trusted in. They crucified him. All of our hope is gone. Then Jesus spoke. 
And he said, oh fools, slow of heart to believe all that the, I didn't hear you, all that the, I didn't hear you, all that the had spoken. Ought not Christ had suffered these things and enter into his glory? Do you really believe the prophet spoke something different than what just happened? Oh, you slow of heart, foolish. Have you not listened to anything the prophet said? Oh, I want to tell you. The Bible says then he went and he went through the prophets and expounded the word of God. By the way, that word expound, it's the Greek word we get expository from. Exegesis. To exposit a text. He went through and exposited the Old Testament prophets. I've always said this. Boy, wouldn't you like to get a fly on the wall when the Lord Jesus interpreted those things? I'd have loved to heard that one. And it's so overwhelmed. The Bible says their heart burned within them. The Lord began to leave, and they grabbed him and said, Don't leave! You say, preacher, what would that be like? It'd be like this. It'd be someone that gets exposed to truth and they get so hungry for it they can't get away from it. Let me tell you what would happen is if truth was being taught here and y'all stood up and said, don't stop! After somebody gave me mouth to mouth. I get up and keep preaching, amen? I've had that happen one time. I didn't know what to do, Howie. It scared me to death. Can you imagine? The Lord expounded the prophets. And they said, don't leave. Give us more. Acts chapter 2, verse 31. Speaking of David, he's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would be not left in hell, neither his flesh would see corruption. David knew when he died you remember when God took his son, his young son, because of his sin with Uriah and Bathsheba? What David say? I won't see him here, but I will see him again. Right. How'd David know that? I, I mean, listen, Old Testament prophets, when they died, they went into the heart of the earth called Sheol. They couldn't be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats could never satisfy a holy God. But yet Peter said, but David spoke beforehand. He knew of 
the resurrection of Christ. He knew the blood would be put up on the mercy seat in heaven. He knew that when that happened, when he came out of that grave, that he would come and get the Old Testament saints and they'd bust the graves open and walk around Jerusalem. And when he ascended, they would ascend. David knew. But everything was future tense for David. Well, lastly, the patience of the prophets. Look at verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things. Notice the recognition concerning the gospel. Not unto themselves but unto us. They knew that what they were prophesying was never going to be known by them in, this, in their day. They knew it was for a future people. How many of you agree that God promised Abraham he would give him the land of Canaan? Well, what if I told you that Abraham never possessed any of the land except for the plot where his wife was buried. So why would God promise him? Because, see, it wasn't for Abraham. It was for Abraham's seed. So God promised Abraham something that he'd never see. God promised and prophesied through the prophets something they knew they'd never see walking up on this earth. But yet they continue to prophesy. They continue to tell it. Why? Because they knew there was a people one day that would know it. And you and I know what only they could talk about. Y'all understand the privilege of grace? I mean, this is the magnitude of this passage. No wonder he said, receive, receive the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Well, not only do you see the recognition, but the reporting of the gospel. It took a new generation. Look what it says in verse 12. Which are reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. In other words, the they could just give a shadow and type of the gospel but they knew that God would have those that would proclaim the true gospel in the time of the gospel in the time of grace empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God it took a new it took a new generation of preachers to proclaim the gospel well, lastly, the relishing of the gospel. Which things the angels desire to look into. Here's what's amazing to me. How many agree that there are angelic hosts? How many agree they're active? I mean, let me give you just a couple things real quick, okay? How angelic hosts are active, okay? The Bible says that they serve a man who receives the gospel. You find that in Hebrews 1.14. The Bible also says they rejoice with every sinner that repents. 
The Bible also says that one day they will gather the elect of God on Judgment Day. But they don't know anything about this gospel. There was a day in heaven when it was time for the Son of God to enter into the womb of a woman named Mary. All the Son of God had ever known was the praise and worship and adoration of the angelic host nonstop for all eternity past. All he had known was that. And now he was going to leave heaven and become man. Can you imagine what was going through the angelic host's minds or hearts or whatever they had? Why? 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 And then, from heaven, they saw him crucified. Why? Then they saw him buried. Why? Then they saw him rose. And then they saw him ascend and come back to the portals of glory. Would you be curious? You say, why don't the angels understand the gospel? Because they don't understand sin. They don't understand being absent from the presence of God. So if they don't understand sin or the absence of the presence of God, how could they understand forgiveness? How many great someone that's been forgiven is the only one that can understand forgiveness? And yet they relish to know. Now listen to me. And I'm done. They relish to know what only you know. You see, the most blessed person on earth is not an angelic host. It's not an Old Testament prophet. The most blessed person on earth is a born-again child of God who is indwelt by the Spirit of God for the glory of God. Let me close with this statement. You may be here today and you're like the prophets or you're like the angelic host. Oh, I've heard about this gospel. I've heard about this grace. I've, I've heard about this life of Christ that indwells man. I, I've heard all about it. I just wished I could experience it. And you may be here and you would even say, I'm saved, but I just wished I could experience it. Well, can I tell you those two statements do not go together. If you're saved, you have experienced it. 
And you may be here and you're searching. You're diligently searching. You're like the angels you're looking into. Can I give you a word of caution? Don't look into self. It's not about you. You say, well, wait a minute, God saves me. He does, but not for you. He saves you for his glory. See, the question you need to ask yourself is this. If you've never experienced these truths, how about asking the Father, Father, Am I still short of your glory? Moses, I believe, would have gave up everything to know what you and I know that are saved. I believe David would have done the same thing to experience what you and I experience in salvation. But yet God used them to tell you and me that now on this side we can say, Oh, Moses, oh, David, I know what you were trying to say in the Old Testament now because it's real in me. This grace you saw is the grace I live by moment by moment, day by day. Were it not for grace, how lost I would be. Father, I stand amazed Your Old Testament is the greatest commentary on the New Testament. And the New Testament's the greatest reality of the Old Testament. The Father, what authenticates these truths more than any other thing? You said them, that ought to settle it. But Father, what really solidifies these truths is what you said. We now experience. We know. Because we, unlike the prophets, can sing. Jesus, be Jesus in me. No longer me, but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. Father Moses couldn't sing that. But we can. Do a work in this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name.